the first sermon of this semester, right? So way back, even if you haven't been here, that's okay. I'm going to kind of fill you in just a little bit. The first sermon at the very beginning of this semester, I use this example. For a lot of people, okay, for students, for adults, sixth graders, eighth graders, high schoolers, college students, for a lot of people, their faith in, in Christ, so what does that mean? So your, your Bible reading, um, your church attendance, your kind actions, that's your faith. For a lot of people, their faith is a lot like their house. Um, they have it, but if not for their parents, it wouldn't exist. Um, a lot of students, and you know a lot of students, they fade out of church by the time they reach like 16 or 17 years old because now they can drive on their own. Mom and dad aren't making them come anymore. And so it shows us that their faith wasn't really theirs, at least it's not yet. It belonged to their parents, see? And I've used this example before. So ladies, let's say I came up to you and I said, you know, there's this guy and he really wants to start talking to you. And you said, oh, shoot. And you said, and you said what's his name? I don't know. So you, you don't know his name. Um, okay, well, what does he look like? What does this guy look like? I I don't know what he looks like. So you don't know his, his name, and you don't know what he looks You don't know anything about, like, what color is his hair? What, I don't know what color his hair is. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know his name. I don't, why are you asking me all these questions? Well, okay, well, what grade is he in? What school does he go to? I don't know. So what do you say? Uh, no. I would hope that we would say no, and you might ask this question, right? How can you expect me to like someone that I don't know anything about. Exactly. I think the main reason we fade away from church is not because we reach a certain age or because our culture is a mess, though those are certainly factors. The reason students fade away from church as they get older is because we don't know anything about what the Bible teaches. And how can you be expected to fall in love with a God that you don't know anything about? Rome, the city of Rome, has one of the highest churches per capita in the country, which means the amount of people versus the amount of churches there are for people. One of the highest in the country. So why isn't the city of Rome just like blowing it out? Because I meet so many youth pastors and I see so many churches where students are not taught what the Bible says. And more importantly, they're not taught why it matters. You could go into college not knowing why the Bible matters. You could go into college not knowing anything about the Bible. This is the most important book in the history of the world. Forty authors, three continents, over 2,000 years, and it's one story written by the God who created the world. It determines your eternity. It tells you how loved you are. It gives you a purpose. It organizes your life. This book grows your heart. And it's all about, from beginning to end, it is about this man named Jesus who came to earth to find you, to rescue you. Look at me. 
to rescue you from sin and death that has worked its way into your soul and worked its way into your life. And week after week, pastors, youth pastors, guest speakers get in the pulpit, it's that fancy big podium thing, and they talk about nothing. They scream and yell and rant and rave, and this book is never opened or explained to you. At PVN Students, the vision is we want to be a youth group of the Bible, not just good kids. And you guys are good kids, and I'm so thankful, but I don't want it to just leave it there. I want us to be a youth group who knows how good Jesus is because we know what the Bible says. We know how good Jesus is because we know what the Bible says. The Bible is our lifeline. It's, it's, it's how we, it, it's, it's, we lost it there, right? The Bible is our lifeline to how we do life and to why we believe what we believe. The Bible is why we believe what we believe. Not because Grandpa says this or because I've known this my whole life, but because that's what this book teaches. With all that being said, I want to talk about baptism tonight. Why? This is so random. Most of you have been baptized, I would imagine. But I can guarantee that most of you don't know why we baptize or why we baptize the way we baptize specifically we don't so fill this in for me pleasant valley north blank church do it yes my theologians or the kids that read their bulletin right or that have been here for 35 years brindley um pleasant valley north baptist church we don't baptize the way our friends at First Pres do. We don't baptize the way our friends at St. Mary's do. And even those two churches baptize in two different ways, even though they both baptize infants. And I'm getting... Now here's, now here's what this is. This isn't so you can go to your schools or whatever and like pop your friends from First Pres and like, oh, actually, or like, or like St. Mary's or whatever. That's not the point. Here's the point. I'm getting more and more concerned that people in our community, especially students, believe that baptism is just something you do. Mom cries, again, grandma, grandpa, the uncle who hasn't been to church in like 35 years, they show out when the kid gets baptized, right? They'll be there. They all get there uh, because it's what you do. I had a girl come to me several months ago, and she wanted to get baptized. And I said, well, let's talk first. Not to, not to vet her, but to be sure she really understood what she was asking. Because so few students, and a lot of parents, a lot of parents don't know. And I found out that if I had baptized her, we would have been the fourth church. Not just the fourth time the fourth different church in the area that baptized her, which shows me that there are churches in the area that don't know what baptism means. 
Even to them, it's just something you do, almost like getting your license. And I'm afraid that so many of us think that baptism has nothing to do with being a Christian. Um, Just for further reference, we have a podcast, and then some of you guys are very new. We have a podcast. You can listen to it on your mobile telephone, right? Just search PVN Students, and you can find all this. On January 16th of this year, Remember our Stranger Things series, some of you? We talked about baptism. I would encourage you to start there. That's more about what baptism is, where we get it from, what it symbolizes. Symbolizes, that's key. Um, But here's what I want to do tonight. I want to show you guys, and I'll explain why, But the big point I want to make tonight is I want to show you guys what makes us distinct as Baptists when it comes to baptism. You may not even know. Distinctly, why we don't baptize infants. What's an infant? What does that mean? Babies. Why we don't baptize babies. And and the reason I want to show you this is sometimes to help you understand something, we have to show you what it's not. You see what I mean? I want to show you what help you appreciate your believer's baptism. And this is not, please, if you got baptized as an infant, please don't be like, he's coming for me. Like, no, I don't even really know, right? And that's, it's, you're, not, you're not going to hell for that. God's not looking at you like, oh my gosh. It's, you know what I mean? Like, he's not doing that. But we don't do that. And the reason we don't do that is because we believe the Bible is clear that you shouldn't do that, Okay? And again, and I've talked to Sonny at First Pres and some other guy, and like this isn't like, <gasps> you know, but there are differences, and that's good, and that's okay. And I want to show you the reason we do what we do is not because, well, it's what the pastor says, or it's what the pastor's grandpa's pastor said, or it's just the way we've always done. This. No, 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 no. It's the Bible that determines why we do what we do. Not just with baptism, but with so many other things. Now, Baptists are different, right? Pleasant Valley North Baptist Church. Say it with me. Pleasant Valley North. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm nerding out. So, so we're different. We're different than the Presbyterians, than Methodists and Anglicans and Lutherans because we do what's called believer's baptism. That's the only mode of baptism we do at Pleasant Valley North. Here's what believer's baptism is. I have, this is, Bo may recognize it. This is our church bylaws. Don't worry, I'll hand this out for you to look at. Calm down, Zeb, right? I'll hand this out for you guys to look at later. This This is not just the Baptist position. This is what Pleasant Valley North's bylaw is when it comes to baptism, okay? This is what it says. So this is the Baptist view. It sums it up pretty nicely. Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in the newness of life in Jesus Christ. Being a church ordinance, baptism is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and the Lord's Supper. Um, that's excellent. I think that's exactly right. And, and here's the thing. Baptism is a symbol. This is kind of sum, summarized. Baptism is a symbol of the new life that you have in Christ as a believer. You see, baptism has everything to do with salvation. This is part of the reason we only bap- the, the, you really only need to get baptized one time. 
because you're only born again one time, right? And baptism symbolizes that. We talked about this way back on January 16th, right? So I'm not going to dig into it. We got to keep going. But baptism has everything to do with salvation because it symbolizes salvation. And you see it in the actual action, right? You're watching someone get baptized. They put the hand here, the hand here, goes over the mouth. You come, remember, think about it. You, uh, I keep losing my notes. Christ died and was buried and rose again. When you become a Christian, the old you dies and you become a new person, not just new year, new me, new phone, who dis, right? That's not what that is, whatever that mess is. You become, look at me, you to your core become new. It's as if the old you has died and the new person has come forth. And you see how baptism is such a perfect symbol of that? That's why we invite friends to baptism. It's become a cultural thing now, but it really is preaching the gospel. This is a picture of what's happened to me. Oh, that's good. That's good. Hey, yeah, we're having church in here. Um, <laughs> no big deal. Um, anyway, so, all right, that's the Baptist position, right? It's a symbol of that, okay? It is kind of okay. Um, all right, so... We baptized, thanks, Bo. If you could just, that would be awesome. So, spiritual warfare, guys, I'm telling you. Um, so, we baptize. That's the Baptist view. Here's the Presbyterian, up here, up here, up there we go, youth. All right, here's the Presbyterian view, right? This is first pres, this is, this is what they believe. Now, here we go, just hang with me. This is from what's called the Westminster Catechism. Okay, SAT, cool. All right, here we go. Don't freak out. Catechism is a, is a Latin word that means to inform or to instruct. Westminster is the assembly at which they wrote the document. All right, Westminster Instruction, Westminster Catechism. You can look this up online. I know you will when you get home. It's where most Presbyterian churches get their stuff from, all right? Especially PCA, all right? Here's what it says about baptism. Not only... Those that do profess faith and obedience unto Christ, but also the infants of those of one or both believing parent are to be baptized. So not just those who have faith, but the infants of one or both parents if they have faith in Christ. Here's why Presbyterians do this, okay? And again, this isn't like I'm trying to pop anybody. I'm trying to show you guys this, right? The differences so that you'll appreciate what happens here and it'll, you'll see it more clearly. Here's what's going on. In the Old Testament, to become an Israelite, right? So the Old Testament, the people of God are the Israelites. In the New Testament, the people of God is the church, okay? To become an Israelite, to be counted as one of the people of God, you had to be circumcised, right? No, I'm not going to draw a diagram, okay? You got it? You have to be, yeah, there you go. You have to be circumcised, right? In order to become a, a member of the people of God, in order to become a member of the covenant community, you haven't, even as a baby, and only as a male child, obviously, right? This is one of the problems with this carryover. We'll get to it later, though. You had to be circumcised, you're now a member of the covenant community. You haven't shown yourself as a believer yet. Remember Absalom, David's son, tried to kill him. He was circumcised. King Saul, evil king, he was circumcised. They were part of the covenant community even though they're not believers. That's the Old Testament. Presbyterians and others believe that in the New Testament, 
The carryover is baptism. Baptism is the new covenant circumcision. You see what I mean? There's the, that's why they baptize infants. That's the carryover. It's a carryover from the, new tes- from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you were circumcised as an infant to be welcomed into the community of God. In the New Testament, you're baptized as an infant to be welcomed into the community of God. All right? So, that's the belief. Here's why we as Baptists don't do that. Okay? And again, it comes from Scripture. It comes from the Bible. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Open your Bibles to Romans or scroll to Romans chapter 6. It should be on the board right here. Okay? Romans chapter 6. Here's the first reason that we don't do this. Okay? The, it's in the Word itself. Baptize is a weird word, right? Even for like the Bible, baptize is a weird word. Baptizo is a Greek word that means to dip repeatedly. It means to wash. It means to submerge or to overwhelm. Like a boat gets overwhelmed in a storm. If a boat's getting overwhelmed, they don't say, well, look, it's a a nice sprinkling outside, right? No, the whole boat gets covered in water, okay? Romans 6, 4. Romans 6, 4, Paul says this. Now look at baptism. We were buried, therefore, think about believers' baptism. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You hear this at baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. That's where it's from. And look at what it says. Buried with him in baptism. So when Paul thinks baptism, he thinks burial. He thinks immersion. Okay? The next one is in Acts chapter 8, 37 to 38. This is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. All right? Philip literally runs into this guy on the road. The man becomes a Christian, and he says, why can't I get baptized right now? Look at what this says. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both, right there, and they both went down into the water, which shows us they need to be in an area where they can get under. You don't need a lot of water if all you're doing is sprinkling or if all you're doing is quick pouring. You need a lot of water to dip, to submerge people to bring them back out. This, and this I'm just showing you, even in the New Testament time period, baptism by immersion was what happened. And you, you don't have to turn there in this one, but John 3.23. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. You need plenty of water if you're going to dunk people. You know, when you get into the pool and you get out, you're not dry, right? Much as you'd like to be. But you get out and the water's dry. You've taken some of that water out with you. If all these, John the Baptist is a rock star in John 3. So many people are coming to him. So many people are taking water out with them as they're being baptized. You need plenty. So even back then, it suggests this idea of plenty of water is needed, which fits right into the idea of baptizo means to immerse. So the first reason that this is why we do what's called believer's baptism is the language, baptizo, to dip, to immerse, to wash. And it shows in the Bible. Here's number two. In every New Testament instance of baptism, faith comes first. In every instance of New Testament baptism, faith comes first. Infants are not capable of showing faith Therefore, we don't baptize them. Okay? 
If faith comes before baptism, infants cannot show faith, therefore we do not baptize them. And that leads into this third reason. There are no explicit instances of infant baptism in the Bible. None. Zero. Now, here's what people will say. Here's where, so if it's not in the Bible, why do they do it? Well, one, it's this covenant carryover. But two, here's the big thing. There are these things called household baptisms in the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians. These how, where the whole household is baptized. We need to take a closer look at what this is talking about. All right? So check out Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, um, specifically verse 33. And here, here's what's going on. Remember the story where Paul is thrown in prison in Philippi? This is the Philippian jailer. It's Sunday school classic, right? He's thrown into jail, um, and he's singing, right? Singing hymns and songs, and there's an earthquake, and the gates to all the cells open up, and the jailer's about to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners have escaped, right? Remember where Paul, where is Paul? Where is Paul at that point? You remember this? Yeah, good, McCurry, yeah. He's still, put that on the podcast, he's still in the cell. And so they start witnessing to the jailer, right? Now, Acts chapter 16, verse 33. Acts 16, 33. And Paul took them the same hour of the night, oh, excuse me, and this is the jailer. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and the jailer, he was baptized at once. He and all his family, boom, there it is, babies, they're all baptized. The whole, even if it's just the faith of the parent, they all get baptized. This is where the argument begins. 33, household baptisms. But hold on a second. If you took my household, so the household of Skip, right? If you took his house right now, and we were all happened to be there, and the youngest member of the, the whole household was baptized. Well, right now, the youngest member of my household is Russell, who's 25, so Skip and his whole household were baptized, same sentence. There are no infants there. The only way there are infants in this text is if you put them in the text, okay? So that's the first thing to understand about this, but also look at one verse earlier at verse 32. And this is, so let me just kind of real quick, this is what people will do about everything. Forget baptism. They'll take one verse of scripture. God will never give you more than you can handle, right? Have you read Job? Anybody? Okay, one verse of scripture, and they'll use it to blow stuff out of proportion. You see what I'm saying? They'll take one verse, and they'll use that to make a doctrine. But you've got to look at the whole text. So that's what we're going to look at the whole thing. One verse earlier, verse 32, here it is. And they spoke the word of the Lord, that's preaching, spoke the word of the Lord to him and to who? And to all who were in his house. So the whole house heard the word preached. You can't put the household only with baptism. You have to put it with the whole word. I don't think Paul's looking at the baby like, you've got to, you know, I don't think he's, he's trying to, to hammer it home with the infant, right? It says right there, the whole household heard. And heard doesn't mean like, don't be like that. Well, he could have heard. No, it means to understand, to cognitively hear. Paul says in Romans, how can they believe if they have not heard? Meaning hearing is part of believing. That's what he's talking about. Look at verse 34. Verse 34. And then he brought them up into his house, and this is a jailer, and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household. So unless the baby is like, yeah, 
that he had believed in God along with his entire household. So again, the household is collectively hearing the word preached and getting baptized. And by the way, verse 32, hearing the word, then verse 33, baptism. Faith before baptism. Also, here's the other thing, and this should unsettle us a little bit. The Presbyterian argument, again, is that if the parents believe, then the babies are baptized as part of the covenant community. They, get, they don't believe, now let me stop there. They don't believe that they're Christians at baptism. I need to say that. No Presbyterian would say that baptism makes you a Christian. Roman Catholics believe this, which is a third thing. It's called baptismal regeneration. We'll get to it, I don't know, later. Presbyterians believe that this brings in the covenant community. You get covenant blessings, but you are not a Christian at this point. The faith of the parent allows the kid to get baptized. They don't have to believe yet, obviously. They don't believe yet, but they are baptized as part of the covenant community. The text says the whole household was baptized, period. Infants who don't believe, right there, baptized. If that's true, what if there's a teenager in his house that doesn't believe? What if his wife doesn't believe? Would they be baptized? It says the whole house was baptized. The Presbyterian church would never do that. No church would baptize an adult unbeliever. So you can't have it both ways here. The only way this text makes sense is if only those who believed were baptized and the whole household believed. Look in your Bibles, and I know we're doing some hopping, so stay stretched. Older people will be sure they know where they're going. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at two more households, and then we'll move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16. Verse 16. All right, this is what, can you do 15 actually as well, Christine? I'm sorry. All right, this is Paul talking, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Verse 16. I did baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. The whole household, boom, infants. There it is, the whole household. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, this is Paul wrapping up that letter, verse 15. Look at what it says here. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. He's going to be here real, real. Oh, is it, did it freeze up on you? It's okay, no worries. So remember, and while she's doing that, 1 Corinthians 1.16 says, right, that it's infants. And then 1 Corinthians 16.15, let's do, can someone read it? Is that cool? Matthew, do it, bro. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. Acacia. Boom. That's good. Great job, Matthew. Now, you may not be able to hear it. It says, the household of Stephanus, and they have done something. They have dedicated themselves to the service of the church, right? Again, an infant cannot do that. So this household that Paul's talking about has got to be adults. Here's the last one. Acts chapter 16, verse 15. This is about Lydia from Thyatira, okay? Acts chapter 16, verse 15. This is Lydia of Thyatira. Okay? Um, it talks about her entire household being baptized again. So, Christina, we're in Acts chapter 16 now. Acts 16, verse 15. 
I know. I respect your effort, though. I respect your go-getterness. So Acts chapter 16, verse 15, the entire household of Lydia is baptized. Here's where this cannot be yes. Okay, here we go. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have chosen me with the favor of the Lord, come to my house and stay. Here's the issue with this. Lydia's in Philippi when this is being written. She's from Thyatira, which is 300 miles away. To put that in perspective, Chattanooga is roughly 65 miles away, and it takes an hour and a half to drive there. This is 300 miles away, and she's walking there. Here's why this matters. She would not be traveling this far if she had nursing infants. The fact that she's the worker, she invited men into her home, and provides for them really calls into question whether she was married at all. They just didn't do this. The husband would do this. And by the way, again, she responds to God in faith first, then is baptized. Here's the last one that you're going to have to like dig. And the reason, and let me, let me just do this. The reason I want you guys to turn here, the reason I want you guys to look and read this, and we, and we kind of go slow, is because I want you guys to get used to your Bibles, right? I don't want you to just come, get fed, and leave. I want you guys to be able to feed yourselves with this, right? John chapter 4, verse 53. John chapter 4, verse 53. This is huge. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 4, verse 53. Here's what's going on here. The entire household believes, and there's no mention of baptism. John, chapter 4, verse 53. Who, can someone else read? Do it, Caleb. right there. There is no mention of baptism here. None. So you literally cannot use this as a household defense for the infant baptism argument. There is no baptism here. The whole household believed, which infants cannot do. Again, so remember this, there is no instance of baptism without belief first, even in the household ones. Now, Let's move on. You guys did a really good job. Here's the next reason we don't do this, okay? And this is the big one. You don't have to turn there, but I might encourage you just to, so you get a flavor for it. Acts chapter 15. In my Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, right? That's in everyone's Bible. Acts chapter 15 is called the Council at Jerusalem, all right? Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And the whole debate is about circumcision, So remember, remember the Presbyterian argument. Infant baptism is circumcision carried into the New Testament. This whole argument is about circumcision. Do And and this is is the whole deal in Acts chapter 15. Gentiles, who are not Israelites, do Gentiles still need to be circumcised before they can become a Christian? Do Gentiles need to be circumcised before they become a Christian? And the ultimate answer is no, obviously I would hope, right? Right? The answer is no, but here's the deal. Remember the argument. Infant baptism is circumcision carried over. This whole chapter is about circumcision. For Presbyterians, they aren't getting rid of circumcision. Baptism is the new circumcision, right? They're not getting rid of it. They're just changing the name. Does that make sense? 
It's not circumcision. We, we still technically kind of do, but it's called baptism now for our infants. That's what they talk about for all of chapter 15. Should we circumcise or not? And it is astonishing that not once in the entire debate did anyone in Acts chapter 15 mention baptism. The word baptism is never used in Acts chapter 15. Here's why that's important. There is an NBA team, what in the world, right? There is an NBA team called the Seattle Supersonics, except for they're not called that anymore. In 2008, they moved to Oklahoma City and became what, Caleb? The Thunder. Same, now listen, same players. Wow, Caleb is so wise. I know. Same players. This is important. Same players. Same coach. Same team. Just different uniforms in a different city. Now, if someone came up to you and said, I can't believe they just got rid of the Supersonics like that. I can't believe they got rid of all those players. Those players are homeless now. They don't have jobs. I can't believe they got rid of their coach. Can you believe they just got rid of it? All you would have to say is what? Wait, wait, wait. They didn't get rid of it. They just changed the name. That's what you say. They didn't get rid of it. They just changed the name. Acts chapter 15. I can't believe you guys are just going to get rid of circumcision. I can't believe you just do away with it. Thousands of years, I can't believe you just do with it. Do away with it. And all you have to say in Acts chapter 15 is what? We're not getting rid of it. We just get baptized now. We're not getting rid of it. Same thing. It's just a carryover. And it's never mentioned in Acts chapter 15. The most obvious, if the Presbyterian argument is true, the most obvious thing you could say right there is, we're not getting rid of it. It's just baptism now. Never once comes up. Never once. Because it doesn't carry over. It isn't connected because the two are not connected. A little church history for you. And we talked about this a while back. But in ancient church history, do you know, like archaeologists or whatever, does anyone want to be an archaeologist when you grow up? Okay, all right. <laughs> Me neither. Okay, never mind. Um, the one kid was like, oh, oh, oh no. Um, here's the deal. When they're digging for like ancient temples and places of worship, do you know how they found an ancient church, one of the telltale signs? It has a baptistry in the front. It has a baptistry, which tells us two things. Number one, the fact that the baptistry was up front means the baptism was done in front of the church. It was even in the ancient church, it was part of the life of the church. Listen, this is why I don't baptize people at beach camp. Because in my mind, biblically speaking, the baptism needs to be in front of the church because... Baptism is a symbol of faith in Christ and the church needs to know you and your faith so that they can hold you accountable and help you bear fruit. You see how it all connects? If it didn't have to do with salvation, you could get baptized wherever you wanted. And then the fact that the baptistry was in front of the church also shows me that baptism is done by immersion. Otherwise, there's no need for a baptistry. There is a book this is one more thing. And you guys are so awesome with putting up with my nerddom. Um, there's a book called the Didache. Ooh, okay, here, Didache is Greek. It means teaching. It's just the teaching. And this is pretty dope. Here's what it is. I know. Um, here's what this is. The Didache is a it's, You can get it on Amazon for like $4. It is a collection of teachings from 
from the apostles that's not in the Bible. Not that it wasn't good enough, not that it was different. It's just a thing, it's like sayings and common teachings that they would use that didn't need to go in the Bible. So this is the stuff that they talked about. It's right here. Listen to what the apostles, this is Peter, James, Paul, John. Listen to what these guys say about baptism. And understand that you're at a Baptist church and be thankful for that. Listen to what it says. This is their instruction concerning baptism. There's five, I'm just going to read two of them. First, go over all the things that have been previously said. So it's towards the end, so go over all of this with the person you're going to baptize. You're not going to have any luck teaching this to a baby, okay? Also, listen to this. Before, and this just shows you how, and again, it's not in the scripture, so we don't have to do this, but it shows how seriously they took it. Before the baptism, the one doing the baptizing and the one being baptized are to fast for one or two days beforehand. So Lydia, we didn't do that. We didn't, sorry, I know. Um, but look at this. It's obvious that they did not have infants in mind here. Do you, remember the, do you remember the phrase in the Bible where it says, from every tribe and tongue and nation, right? Christians will be from all over the world in heaven. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Circumcision was an old covenant physical sign of a particular nation. The new covenant will have people from every nation. So having a practice that carries over from one particular nation doesn't make sense anymore. Well, it's a carryover from circumcision. Well, what if their country doesn't know what that is? It doesn't make sense to carry this over anymore. This is why we have to be very careful when we do Memorial Day and Independence Day stuff at church. We've got to be very careful when you carry practices of a specific nation into the church. That one's for free. Here's the last thing. And you don't have to turn there. You can just kind of hang because you guys have done so well. Listen to this. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. Listen to this. All right. I keep saying over and over again, and we need to talk about this. Circumcision is the Old Testament, but it's also the Old Covenant. Jesus brings a new covenant. Here's what this looks like. It was prophesied in Jeremiah. Here we go. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here we go. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. This is a call back to the Ten Commandments, wrote on the tablets of stone. Now I'm going to write on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Next verse. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. Part of the new covenant, the defining factor of the new covenant is that everyone in that covenant community knows the Lord. From the least to the greatest. Babies cannot do this yet. Circumcision carries them. It's a care from the New Testament. It brings them into the covenant community. Whoa, whoa, whoa. In this covenant community, everyone knows that you shall not teach them for they will know me. Babies cannot do that. Let me pause. 
I don't know if this question is circulating, but as a shepherd, I need to be sure I keep my ears open to what people, I need to not just teach you, I need to be cognizant of what you might be thinking. Sometimes this gets played around, well, if babies can't, can't show faith, Ryan, what happens when they die? Do they go to heaven? Yes, they do. And I'm glad you asked, because I preached on that in FAQ number four on April 25th, 2018. It's in the podcast. So you can go back and listen to that as well. This is why this is so, imp- and, and I'm trying to show you, and I know this was a lot, and some of you sixth graders are like, like steam coming out at this point. I get it. I get it. Here's why I need to show you these things. Number one, and I don't mean this in like a whatever way, you need to understand that I know what I'm talking about. Students will come in, and they will ask questions, and I will explain things to them, and they won't believe it, and they won't care someday. Yeah, I don't know. You know, whatever. Um, I want you to be able to trust that I know what I'm doing with this book. But number two, you've got to also understand that this is important. I don't want you guys to grow up the way I did. And, I, and I'm sure I bet Bo and Zeb and Duty and Sandra could stand for, with me on this too. I don't want you guys to just grow up swallowing doctrine and belief because it's what everyone else does. I want you guys to be able to look in the book and see for yourself, this is where we get this from. And the more you look in the Bible and you see your denomination is right about this and they're right about this and they're right about this, there's a thankfulness that washes over you because you didn't do anything to get where you are. The Lord brought you where you could listen and learn, not just here tonight, but in a place that, that honors what the Scripture says. For generations, the Lord is doing an incredible thing bringing you through this. Of all the churches, you could have been in a place that does this wrong or, does, or doesn't believe in this. But you're in a place that pushes this doctrine, not just in a youth group. And I want you to start to to grow in that. And I also want you to start to, again, don't just accept things for the way they are. I did not say that you need to go home and start bucking up at everything either. I didn't say that, right? But if you have a question, you need to ask. I want you to think about your faith. If you started in sixth grade, seventh grade, thinking about your faith, Ask these high schoolers. Do you wish you had started earlier in getting this wheel turning? That's my hope for you guys. That's why baptism is so important. Next week, we're going to talk about abortion, which is everywhere in our culture right now. We have to know what the Bible teaches on this subject too. Okay? That was a lot. You guys are wonderful. Let me pray, and then Lydia and Brinley, can you help us with announcements? And then we'll be done. So let's pray. Let's pray.